you got your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 again today. We've been using Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47 as kind of our home base for this series on Discover Meaning. We're, uh, if you're just joining us, maybe you're coming in in the middle of the series or maybe it's your first time coming uh, uh, to church at all with us. We've started off this year walking through four things that we say we are truly about as followers of Christ. When, when we say, here's what it means to follow Christ, we believe it's the life that gives us the most pleasure, peace, meaning, and hope. And we've spent the first four or five months of this year talking about how do we embrace pleasure? How do we find peace? How do we uh, now discover meaning? And we've gone through these four things, and, and we're finishing up today and then next week uh, our last part of this series on discovering meaning. And, and we've talked about it over the last couple of weeks. It is so easy to try to find worth and meaning in our life based on what we do with our hands, our mind, what we can come up with, what kind of influence we've had. I, I told you how bad I am trying to build things. That that's that's not me. It's even last week trying to fish. I was you know a horrible fisherman, and I thought, well, this week, you know, what if I compared myself to uh, my Instagram following? with other people's Instagram following. So I looked, like as of yesterday, I had 1,051 Instagram followers. The top 10 Instagram followers, like I'm not even like a drop in the bucket. Do you mind who the top person is with Instagram followers? Anybody? It is not Kim Kardashian. Thank you, God. So anybody? Selena Gomez. Who had the, Who got that? Chris, uh, awesome. Uh, Chelsea got Selena Gomez, 137 million followers, followed by Cristiano Ronaldo, who's a soccer player, Ariana Grande, Beyonce, Kim Kardashian is fifth, Kylie Jenner, Taylor Swift, Dwayne The Rock Johnson breaks the top ten. I thought it's like, all right, Justin Bieber, and then Neymar was number ten. Like, all these guys have millions of followers, right? And I sit here, and if I go, if, if my worth, my value, my meaning in life is compared to these guys, like, I'm worthless, I'm a drop in the bucket, right? I mean, I got, no, I put something on Instagram and I get six likes and I'm excited. You know, I mean, these guys get like hundreds of thousands of likes. And so when we start to get in this comparative process of like what we do with our hands, who we're influencing, what we're good at, if that's where we're finding meaning, we will always, always come up short. We will always feel lacking. And so what we've talked about these last few weeks, true meaning doesn't come in what we can do or what we accomplish or the people that are following us. It actually comes, meaning comes in relationships and how we relate to one another. We talked a couple weeks ago about having relationships that connect, connect us with people inside the faith, people even outside the faith that believe different than us. And what that does is that brings harmony into life. It brings this seesaw into balance. We're not just isolating ourselves, the people that think exactly like us, and we're not always putting ourselves in situations where we're being challenged, but we're, we're putting ourselves in both and we're finding harmony in our life. We're not just going, let's see how many people we can convert, com- co- convince, or try to coerce into the faith, but we're just going and being salt and light in the gospel. And as we do that, harmony comes in. And then last week, we talked about these relationships that we have in our life that develop us, that as I connect one-on-one with people, this actually brings community into my life, not isolation. And we talked about how God didn't design us to live by ourselves. He didn't create us to be solo Christians. 
to be Lone Ranger Christians because we talked about, remember, Lone Ranger, even as Tonto. There's, there's a, somebody that he is connected with that if you start to find yourself falling apart in certain areas of your life, it's probably because you've isolated yourself in those areas. And then we talked about that even though it's up to us to personally make peace with God, that our Christian relationship is not designed to be lived in a personal nature, in a private way. It's designed to be connected with other people and engaged with other people. Think about it for a minute. What if you didn't have relationships in your life? What if you didn't have people to share your trials with, share your difficulties with, to share your joys with, to share good news with, to share bad news with? What meaning really is there in life? One of my favorite movies is the movie Castaway. If you've ever seen that, it's a Tom Hanks movie, and he gets stuck on this island for like, you know, three-fourths of the movie. I don't remember how many years it was in the movie, but it four years in the movie. Thank you, William. I knew you would know that. But in four years, he's stuck on this island by himself, right? And my favorite part of this movie, what does he do not long after getting on the He finds a friend, a volleyball, right, named Wilson that has a bloody handprint on it that becomes his best friend. And I remember when I was watching this in the theater, if you've not seen it at this point, I'm sorry if I ruined it for you. You should have seen it by this point. But he's about to get rescued, and Wilson gets knocked off of his raft, and he floats away, and he has to make this decision, do I go after Wilson or do I save my life? And I am weeping in the theater, like, Wilson, I mean, he's screaming, Wilson, I'm just weeping, I'm like, go for him, go, and I'm like, it's a volleyball, you know, but it just was this great indicator, and even this, you know, tangible but lifeless object that we can try to find community connectivity to, because that's the way we are created. That's the way God shaped us. That's where meaning comes in our life. And today we're going to move into a different set of relationships. We've talked about a lot of personal relationships. And today I want to talk about kind of what it means to be part of a group. But even more so than a group, what I talk about is a faith family. Like what is it that, what is it that makes this group of people sitting in here unique? Why is it that we are bonded together? You may look around the room and you'll be like, well, I know some of you better than others, or some of you I'd like to know better than other people. I haven't met this person yet, or, you know, I sit on this side of the room for a reason, because that, no, hopefully we don't have that. But but we have, you know, different ways that we connect with people. But there, we are a faith family in here. We are connected to each other. We're a group of people that have come together to connect around our faith. And that's what we're going to talk about. So what role should this play in our life? This group of people, whether it's in this large group or in small group settings, how do we connect with each other? So let's look at Acts 2, 42 through 47. And uh, we're going to focus on verse 42 and 45 today as we've been jumping around in this passage. But let's read the entirety together. And it says this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came over every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those 
that were being saved. So we're going to look at these two passages, especially 42 and 45, and learn about these two groups within this, this faith family. How do we engage with this faith family in such a way that it brings balance to our life? And it's about two words. It's about discipleship and ministry. We're going to talk about how do we actually disciple one another in here? How do we actually step forward in our faith together? And then how do we serve with one another? So let's jump into the discipleship part. Verse 42 says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. The first thing I want to challenge us to all be in here is this. Be a learner. Be a learner. Why do we need to continue to learn about our faith? Why do we need to continue to grow in our faith? It's not so that we can fin- win debates, feel superior, use words like soteriology, eschatology, hermeneutics, or dispensationalism, which are words I can tell you, and I don't really want to explain to you what they mean. It's just these big words that I like to, you know, some people like to walk around and be like, well, I understand this, or I can speak to this. It's not about growing in knowledge or intellect. That's not what learning is. Learning in a biblical perspective, and the perspective we're talking about is growing and understanding. Growing and understanding. Understanding is when you and I can do this. When we can rationally explain to someone while we have logically placed our faith in something that we cannot see, hear, touch, or feel. We can logically explain that. That I can explain to somebody why I place my faith in God. Why I connect my life with God. Why I build a community. Why I build my life around my creator. This is what learning allows us to do. It's not so that I can win debates. not so that I can tell somebody off spiritually. It's so that I can engage and help them understand my understanding of who I am and how God has created me. And we gain understanding in three ways that are listed here in this. And I want you to understand it's important to engage in all three of these areas. Because if we don't, we become unbalanced and we can become focused in certain areas. We can become knowledgeable without applying. Or we can just try to be all practical and and miss out on actual truth that points us us in a direction. So the first thing we need to do is this. How do we become a learner? Is learn through teaching. Get external information. Do what we're doing right now. Have somebody teach the word to you set under the teaching of someone allow and and we live in a world right now that that is so available right i mean we have a church we have churches that you can go do that in but you can go listen to a podcast you can download so many sermons you can there is so much where you can submit yourself to the teaching of other people but can i tell you why we don't do that sometimes sometimes we just get to this idea that we you know we get lazy like i you know i went to church last month i'm good I still hadn't done everything that we talked about that. I got a lot to hear. But we get lazy. We just, we just get out of the practice of learning. I remember when I graduated college, I remember walking in. I mean, my last day, I was setting my test down, my last final exam on that desk, and I was walking out, and I'm like, done, done. And I was like, I just, I just, I didn't want to learn anymore. Like, I was like, you know, I've got this now 16 years of education poured into my life i just wanted to stop for a while and i did i mean i stopped going you know class all that kind of stuff but stopped reading different things like that when a couple years i decided to go back to school to go back to seminary can i tell you it was like trying to ride a bike and if you hadn't ridden for like 10 years it was like what how did i how did i used to write 10 page papers 
Where did that come from? I mean, yeah, I was so out of the practice of learning, I had to re-engage to do that. And we can get lazy sometimes spiritually and do the same thing. We can also get prideful and be like, you know, as soon as we hear, oh, they're teaching on that this morning, oh, I know that one. I'm good. All right, that topic, yeah, I, you know, I, I know this. And we get prideful and we start thinking, I know more, that there's less for me to learn than there was, you know, two, three weeks ago, two, three years ago. That I, Not that we haven't advanced, but we should never get to the point where we aren't learners. Do you know who the best teachers are? The best teachers are learners, people who continue to learn. They don't get prideful. They say, there's more for me to learn. The third thing that often keeps us from learning is this. We get overwhelmed. We hear a topic or a, an idea, and it's like, that's just too much. Like, I, I don't understand that. That's, a, that's too big of an issue. Like, why would God let bad things happen to good people? Oh, that's a big question. Like, how do I... How do I answer that? And we like we just start to back up from that instead of like going into it. And we've got to learn to to stop getting lazy, stop being prideful, stop getting overwhelmed, and actually commit ourselves to being equipped. The way that that Luke talked about, it, he says that they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. They devoted themselves. This I love the passage out of Philippians that goes along with this. Philippians two twelve and thirteen says this. He said, "Therefore, my beloved, if you as you have always obeyed, now so now not only in my presence, but much most more so in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure." It's this idea that He is continuing. He's like, look, even if I'm not there to teach you, there's plenty of resources to keep learning to devote yourselves to the teaching, to go back, study the scripture, and keep going. And so we need to devote ourselves to it. Spiritual growth, I want you to catch this, doesn't just happen, doesn't just occur in our life because we show up on Sunday mornings. Like Just because you come here on Sunday mornings, we sing together, we sit, you listen to me talk for about 30 minutes, and you're like, boom, done microwave Christianity, right? Like timer went off. I'm now a better Christian today than I was when I got here. It doesn't happen that way. Devoting ourselves to the teaching is not just making ourselves better or learning something new or something we can recite. It's actually beginning to internalize the teachings of Jesus in such a way that it begins to take root in our hearts, that the truth begins to sit there. And and as it begins to, to germinate, it begins to grow and bring new fruit in our life. It's not just about information. I have studied in my life at certain points. I remember in high school and, and even after I have a friend who's a pilot, I have studied what it's like to be a pilot. I even understand the science of how planes take off and land. Like I have education when it comes to being a pilot. But you would not want me flying your plane at all because I have not devoted myself to that skill. It's not become part of who I am. It's not something that I have internalized so that it's just something natural that flows out of me. That's what being devoted to learning is, is allowing the truth to come in, take root, and then bear fruit back in our lives. Be devoted to learning. But it's not just that. He says also, he says they committed themselves not only to the teaching, but to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. The, same, the next way that you and I continue to be learners is this, is to grow through fellowship. Go through connecting with one another. 
This moves external information to internal transformation. It says when they would go to the temple and they would learn, that was the beginning of their learning process. They didn't go to the temple, hear the teaching of the day, and then pack it up and head home. They would go to the temple that day, hear the teaching, and that would begin. Then they would go and have lunch or go to someone's home, and they would talk about what they had learned. They would struggle with the truth. Like, well, you know, I heard this. Is this how you heard this? And could we learn together? Can I tell you one of the least effective things we can do with teaching is to walk out of the room, say good message, but never talk about it again? It's one of the worst things we can do. Like, oh, that was good. That was good. And then we leave here, and we don't even talk about it with our spouse again or our friend again or our children again. We just leave it here. We remembered this was a good experience, but it never became internalized. The way it becomes internalized is when we talk about it with other people. Can I tell you one of my favorite things to do on Sundays after church is to go to brunch with a few people and talk about what we learned today. Now, I'm going to be honest. That's not all we do at brunch. Like we, we also talk about life. We have fun, enjoy a good meal together and, and hang out. But just about every Sunday when we're at brunch, the topic of our, the message will come up today. And we'll start talking about it. We'll start grappling with it a little bit. Like, this is how that hit me. Or somebody even say, you know what? I heard somebody preach on that passage before, and here's something that I remember from that. And now we're looking at it in different angles, and we're engaging with it together, and we're growing together through fellowship. This is what it means to, like, break bread together. It's not just having a meal together. It's that we're actually, as we're breaking the bread, you know, what's often referred to as the The word of God is the bread of life. It's like actually breaking the word of God down together. And then we talk about this with one another. More often than not, the things that we learn and don't apply are things that we never talk about with anybody else. When I look in my life and I think about the things that I'm really passionate about, they're things I talk about with other people. That's how I grow. I was like, oh, I was reading this. Like, let's talk about this. And sometimes Katie's like, all right, that's enough. Like, turn it off, like, for a little bit. I'm like, okay, okay, like, and then the next day I want to, th- but she does the same thing. Like, she's about, some of you know Katie, my wife, she's, over the last couple of years, like, picked up knitting. And so the other, it was a couple of nights ago, she was knitting, a couple of weeks ago, she was knitting, and she was telling me about this new style and this new way that, like, how you turn a heel on a sock or something like that. And I'm like, mm, because, you know, I'm like, I got no clue what she's talking about. I'm just giving the head nods. But it was this, right? She had learned something new. She was talking about it. And as she's talking about it, it's becoming internalized into who she is. This is what we do. Speak spiritual truths to one another. Be accountable to one another. Share your struggles with one another. This is how spiritual transformation happens. This is what Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 says. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting the meeting together, as as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. I love this idea of stirring up good works. I used to love chocolate milk as a kid. And uh, my mom, I I had a way of making chocolate milk. I would make chocolate milk. I'd pour the milk in first, and then you put the powder in because it dissolves better, right? My mom would put the powder in and then pour the milk on. And I always be like, Mom, don't do it that way. It gets chunky at the bottom, you know. You know? And uh, But, it, like, when I was reading this verse, I was thinking stirring it up. It's basically what it is. Like, we get this teaching, and we put it in the bottom of our life. And then we put everything else on top of it, and we don't stir it up. 
And we wonder why this truth isn't impacting the rest of our lives. And God says, this is what we do for one another. We're this straw that comes in and stirs it up and it becomes ingrained in every part of who we are. It becomes mixed in to our life. So I can speak into somebody's life and saying, this is what I'm seeing. Somebody can speak into my life and saying, this is what I see in your life. And we're stirring one another up to what? Love and good works. Love and good works. This is how it becomes part of who we are. But the third thing it tells us to do there, not just through fellowship and through learning or through teaching, but it says then we should mature through prayers. It says that they commit themselves to the teaching and to the fellowship, and they were devoted to prayers. And through prayer, this is when we start to see ourselves. We start to identify spiritually. Spiritual identification begins to happen in our life. True spiritual transformation cannot happen without the influence of God in our lives. It's not just you and me stirring each other up and encouraging each other and band of brothering it together. We got to have that. But there's an interjection of the Holy Spirit of God that comes into our life that transforms us, that changes how we see life, that changes how we see people, that changes how we see ourselves, And we start engaging in things in a whole different way because we become spiritually identified. I've told this before when we were growing up. PJ, one of his biggest complaints to me all the time when I would come and, and correct him or talk to him about things going on in life, he'd be like, Dad, you make everything about God. And I was like, yeah, I do, you know. But that's like because it's part of everything that I do. It's part of my identity. I can't separate that. And this is what learning eventually becomes, right? It's not a part of who I am. It's a passion of every part of me. I'm not spiritually here and something else here. I am spiritually identified, and this happens through prayer, through submitting ourselves to God. Prayer is this biblical function, an incredible opportunity we have to interact personally with our Creator. And we get to come before Him with confidence. Hebrews 4.16 says this, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we will receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. We don't have to slowly come before God. We don't have to like hide our face. He says, come boldly in front of us. Boldly. Prayer isn't, I want you to hear this. Prayer, though, is not about getting God to help with our circumstantial issues. It's about Him dealing with with our character issues, our character issues. It's about learning in prayer to submit our character to be shaped by whatever circumstances we are going through. Let me tell you a few things about biblical prayer, and I could speak a whole another series, and, and we'll probably do another series on prayer in the future. But too many times we turn prayer into a complaint session that turns God into a genie. Like, God, do this for me. Do this for me. This is going bad. Fix this. And we're just like rubbing that genie in the bottle. And when he doesn't show up, we're like, see, you know, is there a God? Why didn't God come through for me like he did for that person? Can I tell you actually some quick things just about biblical prayer? Biblical prayer asks God to, for his glory, not our comfort. That's what biblical prayer does. It asks God, God, you be glorified. But it's not about my comfort. God asks, biblical prayers ask God for eternal impact, not temporary gains. Eternal impact. So if I've got to walk through something that's difficult, that's going to be better for me a year, two years from now, because it shaped me and changed me, I have to have an eternal focus versus just a temporal gain. 
Biblical prayers ask God for insight more than intervention. God, help me understand. Help me know. Don't just change this circumstance. Don't just change this and intervene. Does it mean that God will never intervene? No, absolutely he will. Does it mean that we won't have temporary gains? No, we will. Does it mean that there won't be comfort that we would receive through prayer? We will. I'm not telling you that it has to be mutually exclusive. What I'm telling you is we should start our prayers asking God for his glory, for eternal impact and insight to understand better how our character can be submitted to him. That's what prayer is. And this is how that spiritual identification comes. It's not saying, God, why am I going through this? It's saying, God, why am I going through this? Why? What do you want me to learn? What do you want me to understand? So I want to give you some encouragement this morning. I want to challenge you. Find a group of people here at New City to hear teaching with, to talk about teaching with, and to pray with one another, and to disciple one another. This is what discipleship is. I want you to understand, becoming a disciple of Christ is not a complex strategy that has to take certain classes and workbooks and trainings. Those things are tools. They're good things. It's not like we have to say no to those. But being a disciple of Christ and being a follower and a learner of Christ is not complex. It is a willingness to submit ourselves to biblical teaching, gather with others, and talk about it and pray about it together, and let the Holy Spirit bring about change in our life. That's it. That's how we grow and be a learner. But Luke doesn't stop there in this passage because he brings balance as well. He says, hey, be a learner, but there's another thing he challenges us to do. And he says this. He says, be a server. Verse 45 said this. He says, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, any that had need. Now, I'm not going to advocate this morning that we have a giant a garage yard sale where we sell everything and just give everything to the church this morning. That's not how we would apply this today. It's basically this. It's the way we would apply it. If you can meet somebody's need, you have the resources to do it, be willing to do it. Be willing to help a brother or sister in need. Somebody needs help out financially, you can step in, step in. Somebody needs help with, you know, some physical labor, if you can step in, Step in. Somebody just needs your presence through a time of mourning. Step in. Be there. Yeah, we as Christians are called to be these basic connectors. We have a need. You have a need. Or I know somebody who can meet that need. We connect those needs together. That's how we serve and minister to one another. And this plays out in our life in a couple of different ways. This plays out in how we interact with the world outside of this church. So God has shaped us, uniquely gifted each of us in here in a certain way that we have become an expression of the body of Christ. So when people hear about New City Church, they are seeing a reflection of who Christ is to this world. And the way we want to reflect that is this. Here's how we say it at New City. We want to be a church that spreads hope to the world by sharing the grace and peace of Christ with those around us. So when we interact, when I interact with people outside of this church, my first thought is, how can I bring hope into this person's life? How can I spread hope into their lives? Because that's what we get to live. We live in this enduring hope that we get to live out of and share with other people. And we do this by what we say being grace and peace. Outside on the table out here, we have an info thing. And inside here, 
It talks more about this. And so what I'm going to show you on the screen is in print out here. So I know a lot of you like to take notes. So before you jumped in and, like, we're writing all this down, I just wanted to tell you it was in print out there. We have gone through as a team about a year ago, we went through this process of saying, how do we show grace and peace? And we wanted to put legs to that. And so I want to show you how do we be grace to people? Uh, one is this. We want to give to those in need. The R means we want to respond to disaster. A, we want to show acts of kindness to our neighbors. We want to be a, see a community of love and respect. And E, we want to be a people who have earnest prayer for others' needs. That's grace. That's how we show. Like somebody's in need and we can meet it, let's give. We do that through partnerships like with Crew Inner City, just right down the street here. With what We do our boxes of love. We do it with our children, a partnership we have with women that are coming out of incarceration, being reconnected with their kids. We find people in need. But that's not our only two things. The thing is this. If you see somebody in need, go be in it expression of grace you don't have to bring it to the church and us vote on it and decide whether we're going to do it or not just go do it be an expression of grace same thing respond to disaster we partner with an organization called sin relief that engages in natural disasters wherever they happen especially around our country or this side of the the world they engage very quickly a couple of years ago during our world mission offering we gave to that and we have different people who serve in that area Acts of kindness to our neighbors, the different things we do, like the carnival. We put these things on. This is how we're grace to our neighbors. But then we also want to be peace, peace to the world. And this shows up in some other ways. Peace means that we want to help plant churches globally. We want to help educate those that are undertaught. We want to advocate for the marginalized. We want to care for the sick and elevate those in poverty. And we do this through partnerships as well. We're trying to partner with churches. We, we help other churches here in New York City. We, we're looking to partner with a church in Rome. We're partnering with a church in Korea through our Korean congregation. We're trying to, how do we help churches that want to be grace and peace around the world? How do we make those connections? We work with our New York City schools. To, we actually invest in this school heavily on an annual basis. Uh, if you've, many of the school instruments we bought for this school. Some of the whiteboards that you see around uh, in the schools, we help pay for some of those. We invest in those that need education. We do that. We How do we advocate for the marginalized? We have partnerships with like an organization called Care for AIDS, where it works with Kenyans, with those that are suffering from AIDS and overcoming that and getting back on their feet. The Philos Project, which works in the Middle East, advocating both for Israeli and Palestinians. We have these great partnerships that we're looking to build a partnership with the Ali Forney Institute, which helps those in our city that are marginalized. This is what we try to do. But again, we have some of these partnerships. But those partnerships are brought to life because of people in this room. Because people in this room say, I have a passion. Where can I serve and minister to our world? Where do I have a connection? Where can I go and show grace and peace? It may be through, a, through an organization that you work with or you volunteer with. Or you would say, I'd love for our church to partner with this. This is not my, all have to be my ideas. These are our churches way that we connect and this takes this is not a program i want you to see these aren't programs these are initiatives and initiatives take people behind them to push them forward but the second way this shows up is actually in our church how we serve and minister to one another it's in our church 
throughout the New Testament, we're taught how we've been gifted to build up the body of the church, that we're actually supposed to use our gifts to help one another, to, to do church together. I want you to hear this. Our church is not designed to be run by one person or select few group of people. It's designed for every active member to find a place to make their gifts used. One of the things I've never wanted our church to become is just a show or a performance where we have something happening here and we just have spectators out here. And when we're done, we're like, bye, we'll see you. I've always wanted to be a, more than even so than just participation. I've wanted to be ownership. Where if you're sitting in here and you're a part of things, you say, I own this as much as Patrick does. This isn't Patrick's church that I come up with. This is our church. This is how we serve one another. I want you to understand for what we're experiencing this morning right now, there's about six to eight people upstairs that are working in our children's area. They're taking care of kids so that we can sit down there and have this moment. But they're not just babysitting those kids. They're teaching them about God's word. They're investing. They're helping them grow spiritually. They're teaching them songs that put truth into their hearts and in their minds. They're giving them activities to, to use their hands and their eyes and their, their sight to, to do things that will remind them of the work of God in their life. But it takes, that doesn't just happen. That's six to eight people that are doing that. This morning, about 10 to 12 people came early to help set up. Everything from setting up upstairs to setting up this room to setting up the stage. I wish we could just snap our fingers and it magically happened, but it doesn't. 10 to 12 people did that. Uh, there's about 10 people that are regularly involved on in our worship and tech team. That prepare during the week. They they rehearse. They think about what's going to be going on on a Sunday and and they make these things happen. There's about 15 to 20 people who regularly serve in our hospitality ministry, who greet people when they come in, who make new people feel welcome. This doesn't happen. This right here is a result of a group of people in our faith family coming together and serving us as a whole. And it's our prayer and our desire that group, that it's not, it's not a club. That's not a, a closed off group. Somebody was saying this morning, like, how do I get one of those name tags with my name written? Like you serve. That's how you, like, it's not a secret society, you know, and, uh, but you, we, we serve one another. We serve one another. And so my challenge to you this morning is this. It's here in my heart in this. There is no desire for anyone in here, for, for me to see anyone in here just to be a spectator. I don't want to. See, anyone here is someone who just fills a seat, gives some money, and then goes. I really want everyone in here who's connected with New City to be an owner. To say, I want a part of what's going on. And so in a couple of minutes, we're going to close our service in a little different way. I'm going to pray for us in a minute, and then we're going to take our offering. And after we take our offering, I'm going to give you a little instruction on this. But we're going to have a time where we actually stand and connect with one another. And even if it's your first Sunday here, it's okay to, like, connect and ask questions and learn some things. And, uh, but you don't have to make any commitment this morning or anything like that. But here's what I want you to ask one another this morning is this. What group of people are you a part of here? Do you, do you connect maybe in a community group or discipleship circle? Or would you like, man, one of those grace and peace things really jumped out at me. And I would love to help with that. Like, who, how could I get connected to that? Just start talking to people. And you may find connections are like, hey, I want to serve. Like, I would love to get in. Like, you know, I, I enjoy kids. I could help with the kids or I could help with set up or tear down. Or I love to shake people's hands when they come in. There's a way I could serve. I don't, we don't prescribe to you like, here's where we want you to serve. 
We'd much rather you say, hey, this is what I'm excited about. Let me serve here. So as, as you're talking to one another, uh, I'm going to, in a minute after we pray, I'm going to tell you then some people that you can follow up with and how to do it. So let's pray together, and after we pray, I'll give us some more instructions.